We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From Irish-Blooded, thank you for the question. Bigger impact on the defense this year, the D-line playing to their potential or the secondary playing even better than they did last year? Oh, I think it's always the D-line, Ryan. I mean, I think it's always the D-line. A a, a big-time D-line can always have a bigger impact on the game than a great secondary. I mean, it's not a blowout, but – because here's the thing. If If the secondary is just okay, it's just as good as they did this year. If it's just as good as it was this year, and the D-line plays better, the defense will be a lot better. If the D-line stinks, but the secondary plays better than it did last year, you'll still beat most of the teams on your schedule. You're not going to beat USC. You're not going to beat Ohio State. may not beat Clemson, and you're definitely going to get whipped in the postseason if you make it to a big bowl game. If if your secondary is really good and your D-line stinks, that's absolutely what's going to happen. Absolutely what's going to happen. See – and I, I don't know what just happened with all my – I don't know what happened there. So I apologize for people watching on YouTube. I, I literally have no idea. I didn't touch anything, and my thing decided to freak out. But what I was thinking, though, is that – so for this question, I'm thinking, right, there's a baseline, and then there's an upside for both positions, right? Like that's where my mind goes. I'm just curious about it because for this team specifically – if the secondary hits its ceiling, I think that it's higher than if the defensive line hit their ceiling, for instance, for argument's sake, right? But if the defensive line, but because then I'm just thinking, but the baseline is that the defensive line is not going to stink, right? It didn't stink last year. It was solid last year. And if it's solid to good with an elite secondary, still dang good, man. In comparison to if they play to their ceiling defensive. I guess I'll ask this question, Brian. So if if the defensive line hits their ceiling, right, if they hit as good as they can be, play to their potential, how good of a defensive line is that in college football? Top 10, top 15 top 10. for sure. So if it, if the secondary plays to their potential, how good is that secondary? Yeah, it's top five. Right. So yeah. I, I just – I don't know if the, like if that differentiation – I, I just don't know. You know what I mean? It's I, not I, think like, it's, my, I get what you're saying. It's a very yeah. fair point. My whole thing is a top 15 defensive line can have a greater consistent impact on the game than a top five secondary. Because if you're playing a team that's really good at running football, 
what role does your secondary really have in winning that game? Sure. Right? If your D line's sure. not stopping the run, then it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I mean, go look at the go look at Clemson. Right, their secondary sucked. They had a great yep. front seven. Notre Dame did what? They neutralized their their front seven, and there was nothing that they could do about it. Not a dang thing you do about it. And there's other games where their defensive line played really well, and they still gave up points. Why? Because they're secondary. So like, you can't be bad at one and still be good, right? And that's the point I'm making about Clemson. But having said that, I I, I look Georgia to me is the ultimate example. I don't think their secondary has been great either the last two years. But they still have won two championships, and why? Because they've had a great front seven both years, right? I mean, so to me, I mean, you look at the championship game. Look, is it would it have mattered in the win loss? No, Georgia's going to win that game. But sure. TCU should have at least three more touchdowns in that game. I mean, their secondary was getting smoked in that game. Quarterback never had time to find them. And my whole point is, a great secondary can only cover for so long. Right. And 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 if and if your front seven's getting ran on. And all of a sudden, you guys start using your secondary to come down and insert to try to help start stop the run. Now you're even more exposed. And so that's kind of my thing is if your defensive line's not playing well, I don't care how good your secondary is. So now a, a top five secondary will have a bigger impact than a top 30 defensive line. But if we're talking top 15 to top five, I still believe that the game is – it's it's sort of like you're a draft guy, Ryan, right? Yep. If you have a quarterback who's a top 10 talent, and an offensive talk, tackle who's a top five talent, a lot of teams are going to still take the top 10 quarterback, right? Sure. Because there's positional value. It's similar to that, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a rough usage of it. But a top the number 11 defensive line in the country, to mm-hmm. me, is going to have a consistently more impactful imp, – uh, 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 more consistent impact on the game than a top five – than the number five secondary, Right. That's just the way the, in college football. Now, in the NFL, Ryan, that may be different. But in college football, you still have to be really good in the trenches. And and so, again, if we're talking somewhat similar, the give me the, the defensive line because, again, a really good secondary with a bad D line is going to still struggle. As Clemson showed this year, you can still win 11 games with a crap secondary as long as your defensive line is dominant. Right? And then the one game they weren't dominant, they got blasted. They weren't even in the game. Yeah. And so that's kind of the way I look at it is it just we've seen that over and over again. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I, I don't think that we disagree at all from the in a vacuum because I'm a traditionalist mm-hmm. in this sense too. I always think defensive line is more important than, than secondary. It's just for this situation that Notre Dame's in. I just don't know if I see as much of an upside for that defensive line to like that level. Cause you use Georgia as an example, right? Georgia two years ago was the best defensive line in college football. Like it was no, nobody was even comparable mm-hmm. this year. There was more of a conversation obviously, but still an elite defensive line. Right. And like Notre Dame is never going to get to that level defensive sure. line, at least on the 2023 version sure. of what Notre Dame will be. So that's just kind of where I'm, just but my counter to the, that is yeah. my counter to that is that's even more reason that they need to play their potential because if they're playing to their potential means that they're what what would you if they're, so I'll answer the ask the question you uh, asked me Ryan yeah. if the Notre Dame defensive line this year plays to its potential where where do you think it'll just rough estimate I mean where where do you have I, it I would say fifteen to twenty somewhere in that okay. ballpark if they don't play to their potential that's not good and I don't care how good the secondary is right. That's my point. So if the secondary just repeats what they did this year, but the D-line plays to its potential, they're going to be a much better team than if the D-line doesn't play to its potential and the secondary still gets better because it won't matter. They'll just do what Ohio State did. I mean, look, Ohio State could not throw on Notre Dame. So what they do in this fourth quarter? Just ran it down their throat. Defense couldn't do a dang thing about it. Benjamin Morrison couldn't do a dang thing about it. I kind of felt like the, you know, like the, uh, the water boy when they just kept taking a knee. You know, and they're like, they took him out of the game. You know, it's like, that's what happened to Notre Dame last year. Defensive line couldn't stop people from running the football, and it took the secondary out of the game. And that's that's the thing is, I think, to your point, Ryan, if the defensive line isn't elite, because if Georgia's defensive line doesn't play to its full potential, it's what, 11th, 12th? So yeah. pretty good, right? Yeah, if Notre Dame's good. defensive line doesn't play to its potential, it's not nearly as good, and that has a big impact on the team because the secondary can't stop the other team from running the football. And again, you can't cover all day. So sure. I, I it, even in that example, it's still I still go with that. I think to your point, if Notre Dame had a truly elite defense where it had a bunch of top ten draft picks on it, they don't have to necessarily play to their full potential. Just right, be good, be pretty play good. Well. Yeah, right, exactly. And that's where I go. That's where I go with it. So good, good discussion. I, I enjoyed that one. Some some good back and forth and merit to both of those points of view, in my opinion. Good yeah. stuff. Back-to-back from Irish-Blooded, if you could trade Notre Dame stadium design with any other college in the country, would you, and which stadium would you pick? I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I like bowls. And and so I think even though Notre Dame has modernized their bowl, and I like that. 
I do. Um, Keep all the noise inside. Yeah, and, yeah I still like yeah. the traditional feel of this. The circular is really not a bad seat in the house. Close. You're, like, you're a closed concept guy. You're not an open concept guy. No, I'm very much so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm very much a closed concept guy. Never heard that before, but yes, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, you never heard about that for like kitchens and stuff? Like, are you a closed or an open no, concept guy? No, oh, my it. kitchen conversation is: Does it have a stove, room for me to make food, and a place for me to cook it? And you know, an oven and um, a fridge. I I'm got gonna call that. Angela and say you need to yeah. remodel your kitchen and talk about clothes. I, I care more about surface space. That's the thing she and I have talked about. Like if we're gonna Love get it. a new house, I want to make sure I have one that's got a bigger like, uh, uh, like you know, uh, well, I'm I'm drawing a blank here on the word counter space. Counter, counter space. space. There you yes. go. Because I need more room to you know have my different like I've got like a I got I'm, I like to cook. I, I I like to do a lot of different things in the in the kitchen. So I just need more space to do stuff. And we don't really have a lot of that. And we have cabinets right over top of our main space. So it's like if you lean in, you bang your head on the stupid cabinets, which I oh, freaking hate. That's and so that's one of the conversations we've had. And so, uh, but anyway, about stadiums, I, I also felt like Notre Dame Stadium had gotten to the point before a lot of the, the upgrades to where it was kind of bland. And I think with things that they've done with the scoreboard, with the the press box on one side, the suites and the coaches stuff on the other side. They've got the, the electronic strip going around. They've modernized it, and it's a really cool deal now. Uh, it's one of the best places to watch a college football game, in my view. It just looks so much nicer. There have been some other places that aren't like that. That I, I mean, I, I loved Georgia Stadium. I thought that was an awesome place to watch. A football never, game. never released. Been yeah. I haven't been there, obviously, yeah. but I don't I'm really cool to, like, place to watch it. a game. I hate the horseshoe. Just the way that it's constructed, it's just like it's just there's a lot of bad seats, in my opinion, in that house. Uh, in that stadium. I don't I don't like it. Um, but yeah, I, you know who's got a really cool little stadium? Wake Forest has a really and, and now it's open, right? I mean it's open on both sides. Okay. But it's it's because it's like the field house is on one side and the I think there's like a grassy knoll on the other side, completely open. That's really cool. Because it's a smaller stadium. Like it, it's it's meant it's almost like a big high school stadium. And they do it really nice. But for a school like Notre Dame, I like I like the bowls, but I also like the fact that they've modernized it. And the best part is they haven't added anything to the was it the northern end zone, I think is what it would be. So you're in the press box. You can still see the dome. You can still see touchdown Jesus. You can still see yeah. the trees. One of the best views, Ryan, is being in the press box in like October, November. And all the trees are like all different colors. And you can see over at the top of the stadium, it's nothing but trees. It's it's a really cool site, man. Like even though I've been doing this since 2010, I don't get sick of it. It's still a pretty cool site. It That's really awesome. Is. That's That's awesome. my favorite. What about you, Rye? Trying to think. I mean, I like the whole Clemson kind of outlook, like the the hill and everything kind of running down. I mean, that's more like a game day atmosphere thing than an actual like stadium architecture. Like, I mean, I, I don't really have – I will say this about Notre Dame is that – and I think we've talked about this before. There's really not a bad seat in the house at Notre Dame. There's really not, man. I, I've sat on both sides. I've sat in the corner. I've sat in the middle. I've, I've sat pretty much everywhere. And I've never, in my opinion, had a bad seat that I can remember. So I, I think Notre Dame has a really, really good outlook in, as far as that. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking Clemson. Clemson's really cool. I think that's one of the, the advantages hill. of having a bowl, yeah. though, right, Yeah, is that. Yeah, because the enclosed and everything, and yeah, every like it doesn't like you're not in what <coughs> excuse me, you're not in like one spot where like it jets you out too far and you're away from everything, right. and yeah, right, yeah, 
Good stuff. I mean, that doesn't mean that there are, aren't other stadiums that aren't a bowl that aren't pretty cool. Like I said, Georgia's not really a bowl. It, it's it's kind of hard to explain Georgia's, but it's a really cool stadium. I, I very much enjoy that stadium. And do you, I got to say, do you say, like Kyle Fields? Do you like the Kyle Fields? Never setup? been. Never yeah. been inside. So I've never been there either. Say. I've yeah. I've heard it's insane though. It's yeah. really cool, but yeah, never been inside. Uh, the way Michigan Stadium is set up is actually pretty good because it's it's a lot of people, but it's like on a bit more of a, 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 a more it's not a real like the steep inclines are the ones I don't like. I don't like about Ohio State. It's a very steep incline. Michigan's is more like this because it's underground. The field's Levels. actually underground, so right. like it's more like a softer climb. So I feel like there's better seats there, and so that was a pretty cool place to watch a game. Notre Dame fans, did you hear that? Brian loved Michigan Stadium. Loves Michigan. Yeah, it's Michigan a cool guy. place to watch a game. So you can try to turn that into something weird, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it was the 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 way that they have their seats. It's like I feel like there's a lot of good seats, but it's not a complete bowl. There's one side that's open at Michigan Stadium. Here's one from NH. This is an interesting one, Ryan. NH, if you could have your college football dream team coaching staff, who would they be? At least the head coach offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. That is an interesting one. You know, one that's like easy for me. Like I don't even have to think about it is, you know, I'm a Jim Leonard guy, man. I, sure. I love Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator. That's my guy. Sure. I mean, if I, if I could sneak in and get Kyle Whittingham to come be a defensive coordinator. To answer the question, you can only do it with a guy who's currently in one of those roles. So I can't have like Nick Saban yeah. as my D coordinator and you know, yes. Nick Saban yeah. would be my corner coach. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Jim Leonard, defense coordinator for sure. Like, that's that's my guy. He has been. Uh, yep, that, he would be number one, I think. I mean, I'm thinking like I, – I really like Morgan Scally from Utah. He's another defense coordinator I like a ton, but I would definitely go with Jim Leonard. Offensive coordinator is a little bit of a tough one for me. Do you have a defensive coordinator off the top of your head that's like an easy one or not really? I like Joe Rossi. I mean, Joe, I think he oh, does he's a good, good one. job. Yeah. He's a good one. But a lot of the guys yeah. that I liked as defensive coordinators are now head coaches. So, sure. you know, kind of can't go with them. But yeah. Joe, Ro- Joe Rossi did a great, has done a great job at Minnesota. And, the last and he's couple years, very so. Ben, but you know, it's not Ben, but don't break, but it's very, it's not super aggressive. It's just line up and do your job and go play ball. Well coached kids, man. Those yeah. Well coached. Very, very, yeah. very. A lot of the best offensive minds, Ryan, honestly, are head coaches. I know. That's kind of the thing that makes it a little bit challenging. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Like, I'd have to, you know, because Sark would have been my pick a couple years ago. I like Jafo Longo. I just don't – I think he does a good job, but I don't particularly – I would not want his system for me personally. Sure. So, it's a good question, man. I don't really know that I have an answer for off. I, I feel like I can't pick um, any of the, the guys that are on the Notre Dame board because then people would be like, oh, sure. Ryan, what's sure. this guy? Exactly. <laughs> Like, you know, I didn't like Kenny Dillingham early on, but I think he's really evolved into – and he was starting to become a really good offensive coordinator, and boom, he's a head coach he's a head now. coach. I know that's right. a head coach, and, yeah. you know, like I, Brent Venables, you know, he, he doesn't really – he's it's not my style, but, man, it worked really well at Clemson. You know, it's but he's a head coach now. And and so, yeah, there's like and, – and I've seen some rankings. I was kind of looking at something the other day just kind of for fun of you know, who people view as the top coordinators, but – and and you saw I saw one that came out and it had Bill O'Brien third. It's just like what, Jeff Levy seventh. It's like, where do these people get this stuff? Just name you know, recognition. Like, That's all it is. Yeah. It's just name recognition. Yeah, Todd Munkin sixteenth. 
right? Like, oh, Todd, Todd Monken's a good one, though. Yeah, That's a good one. Yeah. It's just it's like, come on, guys, what what are we doing here? Yeah. So I found that funny. Yeah, I found that really funny. Todd Monken's a good one, though. I like that you just mentioned Todd Monken's yeah. name. He's a he's he'd be high on that list for me. I think. I hesitate to say one of my favorite guys, Ryan, because it is someone on Notre Dame's board. I know. I, think I, you know I almost who it is. I literally I, almost said someone on Notre yeah. Dame's board as well. I'm just like, nope, not going to do that. Yeah. Not going to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's not I'll, even like pe- people will be like, you know, Ryan Roberts or Driscoll or or they want this guy as the guy, or they're hinting that that's the guy or something like that. You know. Sure. So who would be your head coach? It would not be Saban because I would. I'll tell you what. I'm going to be the OC on this dream team, right? Because it's a big pay race for me. Okay. So yes. in this scenario, I would take the OC job. Uh-huh. Uh, and then who would the head coach be? That's going to be an interesting one. Who would, who would you want to be your boss besides I Marcus would... Freeman? Okay. Just so we can get that out of the way. Besides yeah. Marcus Freeman, who would you want to be your head coach? Who would Kyle, you Whittingham. Coach under? Kyle Whittingham. Kyle Whittingham. It's a good I one. love Kyle Whittingham, man. I still like, I know he's a Utah lifer and I love it. It's awesome. I have always wondered though, if he was at a bigger market school that had a little more resources, how good could he have been? I felt that about Gary Patterson for a long time as well. Yeah, I do. I do. And I, I love even Gary. more so for Whittingham, because it's a little easier to recruit to Fort Worth than it is to Salt Lake City. Exactly. Not that Salt Lake City is a bad city or small. It's a big city. My wife's been there before. She used to go skiing up there. Her brother and sister used to live up there with their with their mom. Their mom, not her mom. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so, but it's it's a little different than recruiting to Dallas. <laughs> it just is, you know? So yeah. I don't like the stipulations that we can't take head coaches into this. Cause like Kalen, the board be running my offense and Kyle Whittingham sure, I mean, be my head fair. coach. <laughs> I mean, it's probably easier to say that than, you know, kind of get out of trouble a little bit. Yeah. Have Kalen I mean, technically there are some head coaches that are also the offensive coordinator for me, but they're not the off. Right? No, they're the, they're, they're the play callers. <laughs> yeah. What does their title say? Does it say head coach, offensive coordinator? No. I don't care about titles, man. I don't care about titles. I care about substance. Okay. Here we go. Let's go to the next question. (laughs) From Irish Blooded. Irish Blooded's got a lot of great questions today, by the way. As a player. John A. Wanting, John A. (laughs) One. I know. John, you need to step your game up, man. Just kidding. Please don't say that. I just said, I know. He's going to flood it now. He's still challenged that. (laughs) As a player, what is that one play that always makes you smile when you remember getting to be a part of it? As a player, what is the one play that always makes you smile when you remember getting to be a part of it? Okay. Um, for me. So it's just our personal background, yeah, right? It's for okay. me. Okay. So my first career start uh, as a quarterback in college was against Chowan College in North Carolina. And didn't start off well. I think I threw a pick on my first or second pass of the game. I mean, hit a guy square in the chest, Ryan. I was throwing a slant, didn't see him, and just phew, right in the chest. I still have nightmares about that number 57. And then I got my ankle sprained in that game. I had to come off at the end of a series. They had to tape me back up. Well, they taped me up because I decided not to get taped because I was an idiot. I didn't like having tapes on my ankles. And I was finally healthy from the earlier season ankle injury I had. So anyway, uh, we fell behind. I think we were behind 27-24. A couple minutes left in the game. And got us back in position. We lined up on, I think it was a third down. We were supposed to be in the twins, but my Z receiver that's what it was. So basically like the flanker was on the wrong side. So I have film of me motioning him across, getting him lined up. And then I rolled out and then I saw that he had a step on a guy. So I threw the ball in the back of the end zone from the 32 yard line. And he went up and caught it in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. And we won the game. It was, I think there's like 50 some seconds left on the clock. 
when he caught it. So uh, that wasn't my best drive for a touchdown, but it's the one we won on. I had one against Newport News where we got the ball with about 57 seconds left, no timeouts on 25, and I ended the drive with a touchdown pass. But the two-point conversion pass fell incomplete, so we lost, so it doesn't matter as much. So it would be the one against Chuan. And whenever I think about that one, I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty cool moment. It's a pretty cool moment. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Uh, my, my actually is probably a high school play. My senior year, we were playing – we were playing this team called Florence, who we hadn't beaten in 19 years as a program. Hadn't beaten them in 19 years. And I had a really good game that game. I was I I I mean, it was in the fourth quarter of this play that I'm recollecting on. I had double digit ta- I, I so I was playing in a five-two my senior year. So I was like an on-ball Sam that would drop into the flat occasionally. But I had like double digit tackles, a few tackles for loss. I was having a really good football game, but we had this wide receiver that was all state, I believe, that year as well, Miles. And he turned to me because we, so we're up on this team 14 to seven, a team again that we hadn't beaten in 19 years. And it was in the fourth quarter. And we had him at fourth and like seven or something like that near midfield. And it was only like three minutes left or something. So they had to go for it because they were down a touchdown. And he turned to me, even though I was having a really good game. And he said, dude, are you going to do something this game? Like, who are you talking to? What do you mean? What are, I, I'm having a good game, dude. Shut up. But then that very next play on fourth and five or fourth and six, whatever it was, I had the like clinching sack sort of, right? Like we sack turnover on downs. I think it was the next player, the two plays after that, we, we threw a little go ball on the outside to make it 21-7. And that was all she wrote. So that was a – I just remember that play because I didn't even realize it was on fourth down – Offense started coming back on. I'm like, oh, I guess I need to go play left tackle now because I was an offensive tackle as well, not just like a linebacker defensive end. And I remember, though, Brian, I almost pulled a Drew Tranquil. No disrespect to Drew. I was celebrating on that play. I was near the sideline. I jumped up. We did like a little chest bump with this one dude. I came down and rolled my ankle so badly. I was like, oh, no, don't show. Don't show anyone that I'm hurt because – this is a big game, and I can't come out with two minutes left in this football game. So that, yeah. that was a good one, though. What's the one. what? So here's the funny thing is, so the yeah. probably the best half of football I ever played was my junior year of high school, and I don't remember a single play of it. My buddy Jake, uh, guy from high, good friend of mine from high school, guy named Jake Seeley, does uh, he does fantasy football for the athletic. And uh, I was supposed to go uh, hang out because Jake and I would have like these all night like video game marathons Friday night after games, right? Go back to his house. We'd have Mountain Dew and Twizzlers and we'd play football all night on on the PlayStation. I was the athlete. He was more of he's always been like the fantasy sports guy. He ended up taking me home, apparently, because I rode home with him after the game. But I got hit in this little five foot nine midget linebacker came up, hit me right under the chin on a Hail Mary at halftime. I don't remember a single play of the second half, but I threw for like 200 some yards and like three touchdowns or something like that. And so my coach was like, um, I'm going to hit you upside the head with a baseball bat now before every base before every game, <laughs> trying to get me a concussion because <laughs> I wasn't serious. But yeah, so I, I, I've always re- wished I would have remembered because I threw some really sweet passes in that game. I just don't remember any of them. Not a single one of them. So I almost had a great memory against Frostburg state, but, uh, I've told you as my my roommate, the kicker, missed the play, but uh, could could yeah. couldn't finish it off against the Bobcats, man. Couldn't do, couldn't it. do it. Got him in field goal range, but we couldn't <laughs> get it all in the end zone, man. <laughs> so I did have the funniest play of my career against Frostburg State that game. They had a mm-hmm. defensive end. I think his name was Alan Jordan. 
But okay. I rolled out to the right, and I had Jimmy Taylor was just streaking down the field. He had a step on a guy, and I knew I was going to get drilled, so I just launched it. It was, it was cover one, and I just threw it. And so I'm laying on my back. He just drilled me right in the chest. It was a very clean hit, but hits me right in the chest. It was, like, not late. Just I threw it, and he drilled me. So I'm like, our crowd was on this side. Frostburg's crowd was on this side. This is at Raven Stadium, by the way. Nice. And so I'm just, like, kind of quickly looking back and forth, waiting to see which crowd <laughs> reacts to the throw. And then our crowd goes crazy. Like, well, I either caught it or we got a pass interference, one or the other. But he caught it. So nice. Yeah. That was some fun, fun, fun memories of, of playing football. There's no doubt. No doubt. That's a good, good one. Here we got one from John A1. Here comes John. I saw John joking in the chat that we, we well, we need more questions from yeah. John. Since <laughs> since Marcus Freeman wants to keep the offensive staff in place, how much does he take their input into account or does he consult them at all? Oh, I would imagine he takes their input into account. I, I I think there's a happy medium. I mean, your offensive staff can't be the one deciding this for you, but they also need to be a part of it. And, you, and I think, to me, the bigger role that they're going to play is during the on-campus interviews. Like, you know, you want their feedback on the system and all that, but at the end of the day, they're going to have to adjust to whoever you're hiring anyway. That's just the reality of it. But you want to make sure that they can mesh well. Like, hey, you guys talked ball. How how was he? How did he engage? What have you guys found out from other assistant? Because if I'm an assistant coach at Notre Dame, if I'm the quarterback's coach, for example, or I'm the receiver's coach, and and I know who's coming in, I'm calling a guy that I know that coaches on that staff. Hey, man, don't. Or you know what I might do? Somebody maybe just worked with him in the past that doesn't have that allegiance to him now. What's it like working with this guy? You know, and then you get the truth sometimes. Like, hey, look, man. Is this between us? Yeah, of course, but it's between us. Guy's an a-hole, right? And just, you know, and and or you say, hey, look, man, seriously, this is one of the best dudes you'll ever. He's demanding. He expects a lot of you. But if you do your work and you do your job well, man, you're going to love this guy. He's going to let you do your thing. And, and and you know, it, you get this real stuff. I think that's where the assistant coaches, to me, are going to have the biggest impact is how was he? How did the interactions go? What did you guys talk about? You know, was he personable? What have you guys found out talking to guys that he's worked with in the past? I think that's where they should have their 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 biggest impact for me, Ryan. Yeah, and I, we've talked about the importance of fitting the offensive coordinator in with such a strong staff. I mean, at at the at the forefront, John. For me, I mean, the guy that I want to keep happy is Harry Heastand, right? It's like Harry has input a hundred percent, a hundred percent, because he needs to be comfortable with that, right? Because although he doesn't have the title, there is like a Harry has a big play in the run game, right? Like he has a big part in helping to efficiently run the football for the team, right? So I think he has to be involved. And I would definitely, I think, have the input of I mean, if I'm Marcus Freeman, I, I'm I'm having those guys in the meetings at times with these with the the candidates, and I'm getting their general feel. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that like that's the end all be all for me. Like that's not a decision making process for me. But it's nice to get feedback because. Sometimes different perspectives bring out different layers to people as well, right? It's like, Chancey, what would you think about that guy, right? Like you heard him talk. What are you, just your general opinions? And then he'll give it to you and be like, oh, that's true. I didn't, I didn't catch that the first time around, or I didn't get that vibe. I didn't get that pulse. And I think that that just gives you a more expansive understanding of people having outsiders perspectives. So I, I think that those, ha- those guys have to be involved. And because again, you have a great step offensively that you believe in, so you need to make sure it all meshes together. Because if it doesn't, then problems arise at that point. So I think I think they're vital for the decision. I do. We had one down here from uh, Michael Rice. I just wanted to quickly bring up real quick. Michael said, "Hey, gentlemen, yep. miss being part of the chat. Yeah, we haven't seen you in a while, Michael. 
always working. It's a good thing. I'm curious if you guys could do a segment on the different OC candidates, ways they create mismatches and using motions and shifts. So, Michael, we're not going to do that for all the candidates just because, I mean, if we did that, then you guys would kind of have an idea of who the candidate, who the actual, you know, the, the primary candidates are. We are, however, going to. So one of the reasons I've I've been able to get some of my sources to tell me who the candidates are is because I've the only way I, the only way I could do it is to A, uh, can tell them that I won't say anything. And then B, the reason I wanted it was primarily because I want to start getting to work on film. And, and so like, to me, look, it's, it'd be cool to break the story, but at the end of the day, the best way to continue to grow our brand is to sit there and, and, and once a hire is made, explain to everybody what you're getting. And that's what we'll do. And so maybe we'll break it. Maybe we won't. Most likely if we find out who it is, they're going to tell us not to say anything. Somebody else will, will still leak it anyway. And it'll, it'll be what it is. And oh, it's fine. It's all good. We want to start working on what that person's going to bring. So, Michael, we'll probably we'll definitely do something like that after the hire's made. I was actually getting ready to do a Sam Hartman breakdown, video breakdown for the message board when all this OC stuff happened. So that kind of put that off. But I got about a 15-minute, you know, cut-ups of different stuff from him in 2021 and 22 that I want to kind of break down as well. So I'll get to that here soon. And then we'll do something similar to the to, – we'll, so what we'll do, Michael, is we'll have like a video that will break down his run game you know, just kind of go over some of the different plays, talk through what they are, how they fit into Notre Dame. We'll talk about some different concepts they do uh, pass game. And then we'll get into some, I mean, that'll be part of of what they do in the pass game and in, in the run game is this stuff. So you can use motions and shifts to create advantages in the run game, as you know, Michael. And then you can do the same thing to create isolations in the matchups that you want in the pass game. And, you know, maybe the guy doesn't do that. And that's one of the things I don't love about those up-tempo guys is they don't do a whole lot of that. And that's just my personal style. It's, I like that part of the game, the motions, the shifts, the the things like that that go a part of it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll break all that stuff down, but that'll come uh, that'll come after the, that coach has been named is, is where we'll be on that one. The, yeah, those heavy spread up-tempo teams are more we're going to win mano e mano on you, right? Like it's not as much scheme driven. It's more like we have talent outside. We're going to take advantage of that talent. So. All right, let's get down here to, uh, this is a good one, Ryan. I don't know if you saw this uh, happening, but go ahead and go ahead and ask this one. (laughs) From Jordan Schreiber. Thank you so much, Jordan. Want to comment on how 247 sports has put Al Washington as a top 25 recruiter nationally, but none you know emphasis on the none of the other Notre Dame coaches are a part of that list yeah it just I mean is it not just further evidence of how just irrelevant these things are like I didn't see it but something the chat said that 247 did a like impact freshman list and they had Mike Jaden Greathouse on it they don't even have them ranked in their top 247 that's so funny dude it's so funny I'm actually gonna look that up real quick to see if that's actually true or not but it's just kind of like one of those things where, like, I just don't care. You know, I, I, just, I did see at least I think I forget if it was two four seven or on three, but someone did have an article that had the uh, the first year coaches that made the biggest recruiting impact or something, and I believe Chancey Stuckey was on that list. So I at least see that. that was cool. Top ten, at least that was cool. and, and that's yeah. spot on. Yep. Uh, because it wasn't just receiver coaches; it was all coaches, everybody, spot yep. on. Um, so you know. To me, I just whatever. I mean, there's nothing I can say here that's not going to seem as a shot at Al Washington. But when when half of the guys in your class were recruited by someone else, 
actually, no, three quarters of the guy in your class were recruited by someone else. I have a hard time giving you a lot of credit for the recruiting class. Brandon Vernon was already committed. He landed Devin Houston and Chad. I would I would argue Chad Bowden had more to do with Bubakar Traore and especially Armel Mukum coming than Al Washington did. Yeah. Oh, especially especially Armel, no doubt about that one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I just you know it is what it is. There's how many assistant coaches do they have? All but Brian Mason to me deserve to be ranked higher than he does. And the only reason I say Brian Mason is Brian Mason doesn't. He's more involved in recruiting the transfer portal and stuff like that for specialists. And- and if, if I would add one more to 2024 Owen Wafel, Al Golden had a lot to do with that, the yeah. Owen Wafel thing. He That's why I said I'd have – I, I would literally have him as the lowest-ranked offensive assistant coach from a recruiting standpoint of the non-special teams guys. I mean, would you have anybody ranked lower? Nah, Chris O'Leary? Right I wouldn't. A lot of things to prove. A lot of things to prove. Yeah. I just find those things are funny. I'm going to ask this one for you, Ryan. This is also from okay. Jordan. He says, Ryan, do you like covering Notre Dame recruiting or NFL scouting better? Which one do you make more money with? Okay, you don't need to answer the second one. <laughs> but the first one, uh, well, you can if you want to. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, but the first one, um, you can you can be honest about that. Uh, you know, you don't have to you don't have to say what you think I want to hear. So here, I'll plug my ears. I won't listen. <laughs> Well, first, Jordan, the second part is I definitely make more money covering recruiting. There's no doubt about that. Um, Look, honest, and this is honest, I enjoy breaking down film the most of of any part of the job just in general. So that's why I get drawn to the NFL scouting side of things because I love just watching film, right? The great thing about recruiting is that there's also part of the – that part of the game of recruiting is being able to break down film and know if a player's good or not. Right. So I think it's all kind of interconnected. I really do. And, and cause I, my dream growing up, you can ask my parents, you can ask my wife, you can ask everybody. I wanted to cover the game of football. I'm doing that. That's it, man. I love this game. I do. So I know Brian, you're thinking it's a little bit of a cop out. It's not not a cop out at I, all. I was smiling because I'm like, so what you're saying is I've given you a chance to fulfill your yes. dreams. I mean, you really have. No, <laughs> there's no, you know, no sucking up at all involved here. Yes, this has been a dream for a long time, and I am living it. No doubt. What's about that. funny is the way, and I don't know if we've said this publicly, but the reason that Ryan even interviewed for the job is because I asked him if he knew of anybody that might be interested because he was my scouting, he was my NFL draft go-to guy. And I just didn't think it'd be something he'd be interested in. And he goes, um, would you be okay if I interviewed for the job? And I was like, of course, I'd be okay with that. Uh, but um, yeah, so I, it is kind of funny, Ryan, like that that's yeah. kind of how that whole thing started. So I'm very, very happy about it. But uh, and we're just getting started. You know, we're, we still got a lot, yes, a lot to, we, we have a lot to get better at and a lot more different things we want to do. And hopefully as our staff completely gets in place, we'll be in a little better position to, to get to those things. So we're, yeah, we're, thank you for answering that, Ryan. Very driven people. So I, I think a lot of people be, don't think I pay yeah. you. Like, cause I, I always get these questions like, Ryan, <laughs> I, you I need to pay Ryan too. more. And I'm I like, yeah. I'm like, I pay dude enough to leave his former career behind. Like, you know, yes. like she's Louise. That's yes. true. It's um, very true. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, and you got a pay raise this year, you know? So I did. Yeah. All right. <laughs> here's what i get i get paid breaking news yes. i get paid <laughs> i know right yeah <laughs> seriously uh this is more of a statement from joe papiti rather than yep. a question but it was a good one so from joe in looking at our offensive roster the pure talents i think this offense is ready to roll 
This offensive coordinator hire is the most important hire Marcus Freeman will ever make. We are potentially a college football playoff team right now. I wouldn't say that they're a college football playoff team right now, Joe, but I do think that they have the makings of it. And the, and the reason I say that, Joe, is there's a lot of teams I would push back on saying that definitively about right now, other than what, Georgia? Sure. And that's probably the only team right now that I would – oh, they lose Stetson Bennett. So freaking what? Trust me, they're going to be fine at quarterback. That's <laughs> so like, you mean, so they you mean they're, they're putting a yeah. more talented kid in a quarterback now? Yeah. Okay. Look, he won't be as experienced and all that, but like they're not going to not make the playoff next year because Stetson Bennett's gone. It'll be because of other things and other losses that they have. They'll be fine there. Yep. But other than them, I mean, there's a lot of guys that that I just look at and I say, okay, this team's got the tools, but let's see what they it, you know, they got to answer this question, answer that question. I think Notre Dame for me, I can't put a team in there that doesn't have a coordinator on offense. I don't know who that's going to be. Uh, but if you're going to take that away to Joe's point, because I think what Joe's saying is like take the coordinator apart, what that guy's going to be working with is a lot of talent. That part I agree with. But here's the thing for me, Joe. I agree with everything you said, except that the potential is still really far from where it needs to be for them to really be a playoff team against the schedule they're going to play. The reality is, if we're being honest, the 2018 and 2020 teams benefit from the fact that they played really weak schedules. The 2018 team beat three ranked teams that year. Michigan was legit. Syracuse was okay. And Northwestern, who finished the year ranked with five losses. That was their three big wins. The 2020 team beat Clemson, which was a big win, in North Carolina. Those are their only ranked wins. And let's be real, that was not your typical Clemson team. They didn't have Trevor Lawrence. They didn't have Mike Jones. They didn't have Tyler Davis. And Notre Dame still needed double overtime to beat them. Yeah. And, and so, like, then you look at the 2017 team, and they played, I think, what, seven ranked teams in the regular season? The teams that finished ranked in the top 25, uh, they beat, what, two or three teams? Like, for example, the – the uh, I think it was three teams with 10-plus wins that year. I mean, it was just was an incredible mark for what they did that year. And much more challenging schedule. This past year's schedule was a lot more challenging. doesn't excuse 9-4 and four because they lost to two teams they had no business losing to. The point being, Joe, that the margin for error with next year's team, based on what I think the schedule is going to be, is a lot smaller than it was in 2018 or 2020. Is kind of my point. And so – they can't be just solid on offense. They have to be really good on offense, in my opinion, to be a playoff team because of the up schedule. And I, I still am very much in show me mode at this point in time. But I, I'm with you on the excitement, Joe. I think there's one of the best lines in the country, one of the best backfields in the country. I think they're loaded at quarterback. I think the receiver talent is really impressive. That position's got to show me a little something, though. That honestly, that's really the position for me. I got to know who the coordinator is, and I got to see the receiver step up. I think they will, but I got to see it. And then defensively, uh, the front seven's a problem for me. There's a lot of unknowns, and I don't have a lot of faith in the person coaching it to fix it, more so the D-line than coordinator. I mean, I think Al Golden's going to do better in year two, but I got to see it, you know, and that's assuming he's still here. Uh, So there's just too many of those unknowns for me to completely jump on board, Joe, but I'll say this. There's – Talent won't be the excuse for Notre Dame this year to not be a, 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 a going into November with a shot at it. And what I mean by that is they've got to be at least one and one against USC and Ohio State going into November that game at Clemson. And then if they beat Clemson on the road, then they're a playoff contender. 
they're legit like playoff caliber. I mean, they just got to beat Wake and Pitt and Stanford to be a playoff team. I think they'll do that. But they have to be in that one loss or fewer category and, and going to November. The town is there for that. Whether they can then now win that game is going to be determined by a lot of those other things that we've talked about. But um, I, I'm, I'm, it's early yet for me. It's still February 9th, so I'm still pick the team apart mode. But there's a there's a lot of things to be excited about with this team, right? There's yeah. no doubt. There's just yeah. so many questions right now. It's hard for me. I mean, I got to know who the freaking coaching staff is going to be before well, I get too far. I, up I think that's Joe's point, though, is that this right. offensive quarter hire is very important. Right. There's no yeah, doubt. I get that. I, yeah, because yeah. this, I mean, honestly, you're in year two under Marcus Freeman. You have a chance now, man, it, with the talent going in the right direction, with a graduate transfer quarterback that's been very successful. This could be a year that could be difference, right? Like it has a chance, but to your point, Brian, like it's just a little premature. Let's see what it looks like in the spring, going into the fall. Like, yeah, there's there's some things to figure. Well, like, out. there's this comment from Frank Frank McCatry, and and I uh, agree with it. He says Notre Dame's room, wide receiver room seems loaded with size, speed, and ability. Just need a trigger man. And I agree with that to a degree, right? right? And, and well, actually, I agree with everything he said, but I would put a caveat. But that loaded room needs to show that that size, speed, and ability they, can turn. They need into to play production. better. Yeah, they need to stay right. healthy. They need to right. play more, more effectively, consistently. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Right. Brian, can can I throw in a? Uh, someone just sent me a bit of news. You want to hear this news? It's not Notre Dame sure. related, but we talked about it on the a little bit on yesterday. Former number one. Overall recruit in the 2019 class, Antonio Alfano, will be playing at Lackawanna Junior College this year. <laughs> Isn't he like a fourth-year guy? <laughs> wasn't he a 2019 signee or 2020? He was a, he was a 2019 signee, and he's going to be at Lackawanna this year. Poor so. Lord have mercy. Okay, There you go, man. So 19, 20, 22. So he'll be going to his fifth year of college is going to be at a junior, junior college. college. Yes. Yeah, and that's okay. Sure. <laughs> that's wild that's and, and wild. The, the headline's perfect number one six foot four 275 pounds like yep yep can't wait to see it that's hilarious yeah, i might hilarious. I, I might throw this to you in the private chat it was of course 247 that put this thing out which is awesome okay so that's wonderful all right let's get to some more questions here uh we got that one from john a1 yep all right uh, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this one, Ryan, because I want you to answer it first. This is from okay. Irish Blooded. Have we seen the end of the golden age of the throwing quarterback in the NFL with retirements from Brady, Drew, Peyton, Eli, Big Ben? I have a very strong opinion on this, but I want to let yep. you answer it first. I, no, I, I wouldn't say that. The, look, there's always transitional periods, right? For a long time, you had the Bradys, the Drew Breeses, the Peyton Mannings, Eli. Like he mentioned, I wouldn't even throw Eli in there. Throw Eli out of that, in my opinion. But what? What Eli Manning? Yes. Oh, stop! Because he won two Super Bowls. He wasn't that good. I mean, man. like, like that's not good. a like that's like something to just like. Do you think Eli dismiss? deserves to be in the conversation with Tom Brady and Drew Brees in an era? Talking about yes. the goodness of an era, yes. If we're yes. talking about is oh, he the man. best of the era? No. There's a difference between saying, "Are we going to debate who the best quarterback was of that era?" No, he's not in that conversation. But mm-hmm. to talk about him being a very important part of that era, yeah, because the guy won two Super Bowls. If it's not for him, Tom Brady's got nine Super Bowls. Sure. Right. So again, the conversation should not be about is he one of the best of that era? I'm not saying he is. I, I want to see somebody but, else's but name for on him list, to be so. part of that era. I think I think it's kind of I don't know what your issue is with Eli, but the, the I think the guy Eli has was very overrated. Rings. Okay, I, I guess fine, but, but he was still a he still flew for over 50,000 yards 
366 touchdowns and won two Super Bowls. He didn't suck. You may say, say he was overrated, but like if you're talking about that era, yeah, he I mean, needs but... to be part of that era. I mean, the guy threw what once he for five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven years of over four thousand yards. That's that's not too shabby. From 2005 to 2018, he threw for at least 3,000 yards in every season. Again, I, he was a good quarterback in an era, and the question is about the era. Is the is my point? So okay. Anyway, well, I, please I, continue I, the the conversation. Just cycle his name out for Philip Rivers or something, then we can have a conversation. Anyway, so Philip Rivers um, hasn't retired yet, has he? Yeah, he did has. he retire? Kind of like 28, 19 right. or something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How many uh, how many Super Bowls has Philip Rivers been in? Oh, that does. Oh, come on, man. That's a team thing. That's a team thing. That's right. Not just remember individual. that. Remember that period of time when he was throwing Antonio Gates and Ladainian Thomas. Let's not act like he didn't have dudes. Oh, but I he mean, didn't. <sighs> come on now. I'm. I'm not. I'm. Come on he now. Was, he was a much better quarterback than Eli Manning. Much better quarterback than Eli Manning, in my opinion. Okay. So, anyway, it's. It, no, I don't think it's the end of an era. The era is just going to now starts from here, in my opinion. Right? You have Patrick Mahomes. You have Josh Allen. You still have some guys on Joe Burrow. You have those guys on the list. It's just about what's the next maturation of that of that era, right? Like, right. who's the next guy up? Is Bryce Young going to be that guy? Is Justin Fields eventually going to be that guy. Is Trevor Lawrence take that ascension? Like th- those are you just need some more answers because that era was also early on was not like a hundred percent going to be that era, right? Like Big Ben, you know, started off pretty well, but like he didn't really hit his stride until late twenties, right? I mean, Drew Brees was a guy that people forget was that was with the Chargers at first, San Diego, and he was a little bit of a cast off because he had some shoulder injuries, and then Philip Rivers came in and. So he wasn't even that guy early on in his career. He became that guy into his 30s. That's when Drew Brees really took that ascension, right? So let's give it time for the Trevor Lawrence's of the world, hopefully the Bryce Youngs, the CJ Strouds maybe, the Caleb Williams when he comes into this era very quickly. I mean, we're going to see, I think, we're going to see another great era of quarterbacks. It's just right now a lot of guys have retired over the last few years. You still have the, the elite of the elite that are at the top. I agree, and we've talked about this a ton. It's a massive drop-off from, like, quarterback three to quarterback whatever, right? Like a massive drop-off. But I think that that will – I think that that depth will eventually come. I do. It's just about the – you know, just when so many guys leave, it just has to be right. now the replenishment of talent. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I think where I would say is um, the throwing, the golden age of the throwing quarterback is gone. And and the reason I'll say that, Ryan, is because the game's different now. 
And I would not call Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen throwing quarterbacks because the way they play the game is so much different than all of those guys except for Big Ben. And so what I mean is like the game has changed. The type of quarterback that's dominating the league now is just a different brand. When I think of a throwing quarterback, I think of a guy that sits back in the pocket and just throws it all over the field, right? I think of Tom Brady. I think of uh, Drew Brees. I think of Peyton Manning. I think of Eli Manning. I think of Aaron Rodgers to a degree, but I think Aaron Rodgers has a little bit of the modern quarterback in him too because he moves around and throws off platform so much and things like that. He's kind of the – he was a, like sort of like an OG a little bit of this type, but these guys are much more athletic and more runners. So I, I think that era of the quote unquote throwing quarterback is over, but I don't think it's necessarily worse off because I prefer the style. Like to me, it's, it's all cyclical, right? So what you're seeing now is the John Elways, the Steve Youngs, the Randall Cunninghams, the, the, the guys like that, the Brett Favre's are now coming back into style. Because they were the ones that dominated that era, right? Like, yeah, Joe Montana was obviously a different cat, but like you said, that's a, a team thing. But so there was just that era where there was just so many guys could run and throw, and the mobile quarterback was a thing because of the way the game was. Well, then the game evolves, and now all of a sudden everybody's looking for the pocket passer, right? They want the Peyton and the Tom Brady's and the guys like that, the Drew Breeses. Now more teams are looking for – the next Josh Allen, the next Pat Mahomes. So now, again, we're back to the John Elway type again. And I just think that's how the game is, right? It's cyclical. So um, is it over? It's over for now. And there's a different style that's now people are looking for. And then eventually in 15, 20 years, that, there's going to be a couple throwers that come back into the, to the mix, and that's where the game goes. Because it is such a copycat league, Ryan, that's what makes the NFL so cyclical. Like, to me, college football is always evolving. It's never going back. NFL to me goes back in a lot of different ways because of the way that evolves, you know? And so that's what I would say. So I don't disagree with the way you said it, Ryan. I just would frame the question I would frame the definition of throwing, I think a little different than you are. You're talking about the quality of quarterback play. I think that's, I think the depth of like in the, in the golden age of that, like you're going to talk about an Eli Manning being overrated. Eli Manning is a top five quarterback if he's in the NFL right now. You know what I mean? Like, but but that that's a but that doesn't mean that top five is good necessarily. Right, that's though. what like, I'm that's saying. A the depth, no, no, no. Right. That's my point. Yeah. The depth yeah. of quarterback play now isn't as good. I agree. Or a guy that I'm maybe is tenth or eleventh ten years ago is top five now. That's what I think the problem in the NFL is. It's not that. It's just that. And now because of who's dominating the league, even a Joe Burrow, he's not a thrower in the sense that Tom Brady and Peyton Manning were. He is much more in the Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes category than I would put him in there if I had to put him into one. He's a little bit different than some of those other guys. So I just think the the quarterback position is evolving as it always does. Sure. And I think that's where it's coming. That's what to me. So so this age of those specific players you mentioned. There's only one of those guys that plays the game at all like the modern quarterbacks, and that's Ben Roethlisberger. He's the only one of that group. And 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 I would say the same thing if you wanted to throw Phillip Rivers in there, right? So if you wanted to take out Eli and put Phillip Rivers in there, same thing, right? He's a drop-back pocket passer. No doubt. I think that quarterback is – people just aren't looking for that guy anymore. And I'll, I think C.J. Stroud's a perfect example. If If they're drafting 10 years ago – I don't think we're having a debate about who the number one quarterback in the NFL is. Well, yeah, I, because then, you know, people, you know, they would see that 
Bryce Young is 5'11", and they would just throw him off their board. Exactly. They wouldn't even and consider it. there was more yeah. value than just a guy that's going to sit back, read a defense, and throw it. I don't need a guy to run around. Like, C.J. Stroud's getting knocked for the fact he didn't run around. Ten years ago, he drops back and throws it a million times, and he's accurate and makes good decisions. That's what I want. You know, whereas now they kind of want a guy that can play. You, know, you hear it. He can make plays off schedule. He can throw off platform. He can change arm angles. Nobody cared about that 10 years ago. Well, at least not to the degree that they do now 10 years ago. It's just the best quarterbacks in the game now are that style, and so it's evolving to that. Because let's let's be real. When, when John Elway and Dan Marino were coming out, most people weren't looking for the next Dan Marino. They were looking for the next John Elway. Right or wrong, that's just the reality of it because they're always looking for that guy that's considered the elite talent, and that's yep. what Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen are. And, yep. and, you know, and look at the Super Bowl now. Look at Jalen Hurts. Why is he making an impact? Not because he sits back in the pocket and just throws the ball 50 times and just picks people apart. He's a playmaker, right? Would you say that's accurate? He's a playmaker. Very accurate. <laughs> and and yeah. so I'm only asking because you watch a lot more of the – I mean, I watch the playoffs, but, I you know, maybe he did things in the playoffs he didn't do in the regular season. Nah. So I just think it's, it's evolving. And so that particular age is over. And now it's a new age with a different type. It's the same thing in basketball right? Different types of players. Remember it, when I grew up, it was the center dominated league. You know, you had bigs dominated the league, you know, centers and forwards. And now it's more of a, you know, guard wing dominated era. Yep. You know, so it's, it's just different. So yeah, the, the era of the Patrick Ewings and David Robinson's is over, right? It doesn't mean that Joel Embiid couldn't be that if that's what he grew up trying to be. It just means that teams don't want that anymore because of analytics. What, what, I miss that the, about the NBA. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, I miss the seven footers that you know were dominant. I do. I yeah. do miss that. So, uh, what what bucket would you put Will Levis in when he's the first quarterback taken? I've already told you what bucket I'm putting him into. He's in the Jim <laughs> Druckenmiller bucket. bucket. He's in the Jim Druckenmiller bucket. That's what he's in. He's uh, in the scouting world. Still hasn't. Still hasn't. Uh, still stinks at evaluating quarterbacks. Bucket. Because remember, two of the three, two of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. We're not the first quarter. Actually, hold on a second. What year was Josh Allen drafted? Mm, 2018, maybe. Who was the first quarterback taken that year? Was he the first that quarterback was, taken that year? Nah, that, that was the Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, wasn't okay. it? No, no. Wait. I'm looking yes. right now. Yes. Yeah, so yes, he was. was the third quarterback drafted. Yep. So the would you say that Josh Allen, right now, Josh Allen and, and Pat Mahomes are the two best quarterbacks in the NFL? I would. Joe yep. Burrow's in the conversation for third. Would you say as the third He's, in that conversation? I, I, in my opinion, right now it's Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen in a tier by themselves, and the second tier is just Joe Burrow. As just, Joe right Burrow. Now. And, and just Joe Burrow. Now, it, so of those three, only one of them was the first quarterback taken. That was Joe Burrow. Correct. Yeah. I mean, Pat Mahomes was second. Josh Allen was third. Right. It's because mm-hmm. why? Because teams are looking for something different. At yep. quarterback, so they're still not good at evaluating quarterbacks. Dan, when you talk about Dan Marino, he was what seventh quarterback taken in that draft, fifth, sixth, seventh quarterback taken in that first round. That I mean, Tony Eason, yeah, because Todd Blackledge, I mean, Ken O'Brien. I mean, one of the big thing was uh, I remember Marino's stuff was he had an uneven senior year. He had a low wonder lick, and he liked to smoke a little ganja on the side. Right, that was he that was Dan to, Marino's he liked to drink thing. Beers, yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that a dude that played mostly in the seventies and the early eighties, like the <laughs> at like the university of Pittsburgh, likes to drink right. beer. Wow. Who sure. thought? <laughs> sure. Seriously. Seriously. Um, so yeah, somebody said not Jalen hurts. No, I don't, I mean, Ryan, you tell me is Jalen hurts a, an elite NFL no. quarterback. 
I, I, I've said this, and I know some people are going to push back against it, because Jalen Hurts did have a really good year. I'm not going to push back and say he didn't have a good year, especially for him, in my opinion, right? But I think that we're going to see how good Jalen Hurts is very shortly, because he's going to get a big contract here very soon from the Eagles. It's going to happen. And when we see what the roster is going to look like when you can't allocate enough as much money into other things because you have to pay a franchise quarterback, that's when they show their true colors, in my opinion, right? Like if Pat Mahomes did what he did, but it was it was all because Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and that was the guys, right? And then they paid him all that money, that ship would sink very quickly. But the ship has not sunk in Kansas City because Pat Mahomes is that dude. He is that guy, right? But giving Matt Mahomes money and giving Kirk Cousins money or Dak Prescott money is a little bit of a different proposition, right? So I think that Jalen Hurts will show quickly that I think that he's a good NFL quarterback. Is he near the elite tier? Absolutely not, in my opinion. Absolutely not. I'll give him credit, though. He's a lot better than what I thought he was going to be. I gave him like a fourth-round grade. I said that in the right situation, he might be able to develop into a starter down the road. He has proven me wrong to a degree. Not fully proven me wrong, but he's to a degree – He's a better player than I thought he was going to be, but I, I'm not. No, he's not. He's not near the elite tier, in my opinion. Not even close. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I'm glad he's doing what he's doing. All right, the way that he handled getting benched, yep, was about as man. That's a that's a teammate right there. That's a good kid right there. Uh, he had the kid had played in two championships, started in two national championship games, and got, got benched and and embraced it. Not wasn't happy about it. But he embraced it, and he's never bad mouthed Bama, never bad mouthed the coaches, never said, you know. There's other quarterbacks that would be the whole week leading Super Bowl just be this whining how he got screwed over and he, you know, he's he was disrespected and it's like no, he's like hey, you know, I did what I did. They made a decision. I love them, respect them, and and just like to hear kids, people from Alabama just sing the kids' praises. And but they've always been that way. It's not. It's not coming back around now because it's worked out. They've did it at the time. Like that's the kind of guy you root for, because it's like it's not just that he's talented. It's just that he's a good guy. You want him to be successful, and he's being rewarded for being a good man when he was coming up in college. Because there's a lot of quarterbacks that would not have handled what he went through as maturely as he did. And I'm talking about professional quarterbacks. Forget college kids. And I got a great deal of respect for the kid. I really do. I really do. So I'm happy for him. I just can't root for the Eagles. It's not him. I just can't root for the Eagles. But I have a ton of respect for Jalen Hurts. That that's actually one of my favorite part of the processes. And this is gonna sound silly, but I love when I'm wrong about a kid. I love it. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, man. That kid is a I I can't I couldn't quantify how hard of a worker Jalen Hurts was in my film evaluation, you know? Like because the one thing that I'll say about Jalen Hurts that has been consistently impressive to me is that he's gotten better. Just about every year, man. Like he's just stacking years from the college game to the NFL game. He's just gotten a little better every year. I don't think there's ever been like a massive jump. I guess you could say this year was a massive jump from last year, but he's just gotten kind of better each and every year, which has just been, it's a great story. It really is. Yeah. Here's a one from Jacob Watson. Jacob says, what is the biggest question mark going into 2023? What player do you expect to grow the most heading into 2023? Oh man! Uh, I mean, right now it's it's uh, who draw offense coordinator, right? That's the biggest question mark right now. But I think you know. the thing for me is is um, what player do I hope? I don't know if I, who I would say I expect. I mean, there's a lot of guys you expect. I mean, you look at the receivers. 
I think you need one or two of them. I expect I expect one of them to to st- step up. I I really think Mitchell Evans is going to have a big breakout. Like I think he's he's battled injury. He's still learning the position. He still looks like a baby. I mean, you ever seen a picture of Mitchell Evans recently? Looks like a little yes. kid. Like if you yes. only looked at his face and didn't know he was like six five, two hundred fifty pounds, you'd think he was like sixteen years old. But with guys like that, usually it's he's one, they have a, a young body. He's got a growth spurt coming, you know? He, he's one of those first guy off the field, off the bus dudes that you don't want to take the helmet off. Correct. Just put put a hat on your baby and face. sunglasses and, and <laughs> exactly. you know, maybe grow some stubble out a little bit so you can look like, you know, but no, but he's, he's one of those kids. I, I'll say, I'm going to take the question a little bit of a different direction. I'll say who I think needs to step up and have, and, and, and expect to grow the most. I really think Notre Dame needs Riley Mills to be that guy. I think if I he is the answer that. to this question after the season, that's going to be a big part of Notre Dame being a playoff caliber team. And even more so than like a Jordan Patelho or a Josh Burnham or somebody like that. They really need a big guy to just be a butt kicker. Yeah. And, and, and they haven't had a butt kicker up the middle in a while in my opinion, to be completely honest with you. And it's a good players, right? But not a butt kicker. And I think Riley can be that. He just, he's a ways, he's been away from it. He's flashing here and there. But if he can be the, if he can be the answer to that question, Ryan, then the D line is going to be pretty dang good in 2023. That, that, that might be a, I mean, that honestly would be a really good podcast. The players that are most important for getting Notre Dame to the next level, right? Like that is an interesting topic because I took the question as, and I know that you originally did too. You just took it a different way. Like yes. you made it a different direction. Yeah. But I th- I really think it's going to be Jordan Vitello, man. If he can keep his head on straight, I think he's going to be a very good player in 2023. And yeah, I, I think he's going to take a step. I think one of the wide receivers is going to take a step. I think it's Deion Colsey. I mean, I hope it's Tobias Merriweather too. I hope it's multiple wide receivers, but those are a couple guys that I think are going to take like a massive step. I think Jordan Batelho and Deion Colsey are going to be two guys for me that I'm like what they all were last year. And then where they are now is just like, they went from good players when their number was called upon to being very important and vital players to the 2023 version. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. But Mills is a great one because I agree. If you can get someone up the middle that is a difference maker, like a true difference maker, that transforms my 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 opinion of the defensive line entirely because that's my biggest question right now is I think Notre Dame will be good on the edge. I do. I question how impactful they will be on the interior consistently. That's my question mark. And if they do that, I mean, if Riley can be that guy, I mean, I welcome it. Even you know? if everybody else is just a slightly older version of what they were last year, if Riley has a breakout, it completely changes the defensive line. Yes. 100%. Because he's six five, he's going to be right around probably three hundred pounds. Like he's and he's got that, he's got playmaking potential from the interior too. It's not just a big body, you know. Right. Which you need both. <laughs> All right, we got another one here from Scott L. So first part's kind of joking around. Second part is the real question, which is a good one. Let's keep the good news rolling. How can we get Al Golden a sweet NFL job? Mostly kidding. Real question: Where can the quarterback coaching at Notre Dame improve the most? What should they do better? I think the first thing that they need to do a better job of is is making sure that they're they're making the offense more. Um, I'm trying to think of the way to say this, I feel like they've put too much on quarterbacks at Notre Dame in recent years, and they don't to the point where they just they don't they're not able to go out and execute the game at a high level mentally. The only guy that's really done it is a guy that transferred in. In the last right. few years, I don't think Ian Book played the game at a mentally high level. I, 
I know this is not a popular opinion, but Ian Book was a, a game manager, and that was it. He, he did not take risks. He did not make the big plays you needed to in the games that mattered most. He would do it against Boston College and you know teams like that, but he never did it against the teams that mattered, except for one time. He was really good in some big moments against Clemson early and then late, kind of went disappeared in the middle and, and had that bad fumble, but he bounced back from the fumble and made some big money throws at the end of the game. But the reality is if he'd have played better in quarters two and three, the game's never close. You know, so there was there was a lot of that. But he just wasn't he wasn't that guy. He now you could say maybe he was just not a real good processor. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But the reality is is that the quarterbacks have just not played one well big games. I think a lot of it's because they just put so much on their shoulders mentally pre and pre-snap and then of course pro snap post snap. So, you know, kind of back off that a little bit and and I think the other part of it too is is they've they have been so don't turn the ball over that it's almost like crippled the quarterbacks where they won't take chances. I think that's been a big concern as well. And that's that's something where it's like with Tyler Buckner, the guy was kind of kind of hard to argue that he wasn't turnover prone in his first few starts. But the thing that I hope happens with him, for example, is that they don't go so far to get the turnovers out of his system that they take away the playmaking. And I, and I think that has been a problem at times. And so I think that's a big part of it. And then just overall, just teaching reads. And the issue that Notre Dame has had, from what I understand of the offense, Ryan, is there were so much post-snap adjustments that it made it hard for receivers to really get the offense down, created a lot of miscommunication, and then it made it harder for the quarterback to know where to go with the football. And so quarterbacks are, are not anticipating as well because they're not quite sure where the receiver is going to go. Sure. I think those are all things that I think need to need to go on top of just being better fundamentals. Like Mike Sanford was one of the worst fundamental coaches of quarterback play I've ever seen in my life. Like some of the drills he would do, I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you don't have a clue. You just saw this at some clinic or your dad told you or something else. And you're just running it. You have no clue how to teach it. None. He was terrible. And so I think fundamentals are going to be a big part of it for me as well, Ryan. So all those things to me factor into it. So you were a big fan of Mike Sanford is what you're saying. (sighs) I'm going to – somebody's down here saying ban the scan. I'm going to ban sarcasm for a show. <laughs> let's go to – I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk like a robot instead. No, let's do you this. talk like just a robot. Kidding. Just <laughs> Joe Papiti with, with a question. Here's one. From Joe, I'm a newbie when it comes to the ins and outs of college football recruiting. It's not having an offensive coordinator right now hurting us on the recruiting trail. I mean, not as much right now, Joe, just because it's a dead period, right? I mean, the offensive coordinators wouldn't be able to – you know, kind of put, you know, put that work in as far as the constant contact on recruiting. So it's not hurting as much in that sense. Can it hurt? It can hurt for sure. Because I mean, we talked about Tommy Reese, Tommy Reese has done a good job recruiting over the last couple cycles. Right. And it is impactful for Notre Dame to make a hire that one, the eight commits in the class for Notre Dame in 2024 sign off on it. It's like, Oh, okay, cool. That's awesome. And then after that, you already had a pre-existing board. You had pre-existing relationships with the offensive staff. That guy needs to quickly just, you know, develop those relationships with those top priorities on the board and get everything smoothly working back in the right direction. So I think more the impact is after the hire is made than what it is right now, because it's not like Tommy is going to be able to call up a bunch of the offensive recruits right now and be like, yo, man, what's going on? How you doing? Like, you just have that limited contact right now. 
I will say this, Ryan. In some ways, from a team standpoint, him leaving this late, because it is a bit late for your offensive coordinator to leave a bit, in yeah. the recruiting window. In some ways, it actually is perfect from a recruiting standpoint. And, and here's what I mean by that. If he'd have left soon after the season, that meant during those open visit periods, they wouldn't have had a coordinator. And sure. it would have been much harder for Marcus Freeman to really zero in on hiring his coach when they had to be on the road. I mean, think about it. Tommy Reese did a ton of road work. He did a, you know, Marcus Freeman could go on the road because they weren't trying to hire a new coach. The whole staff was able to just focus on recruiting for like a good month. And then he leaves. So a lot of the road work that Tommy did still, still matters. Some of it is gone, you know, but a lot of it still matters because of the way that they sold Notre Dame more so than, than just him, which is, which is important. Right. Right. So I, the fact that a lot of this is happening during a dead period to me is a blessing in disguise for Notre Dame from a recruiting standpoint. And so I actually think the timing of it, it from just a pure recruiting standpoint is good. It's very good. And now they just need to make it happen pretty quickly. So that way, once the window opens back up, that that guy's in place and ready to sell. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. When it opens back up, if you made a great hire that people are pumped about, then you can gain a lot of momentum in a very short amount of time if you're Notre Dame on the offensive right. side. Because I mean, hey man, we talked about it. As long as you, as long as you have assurance from, well, as long as you have approval, I should say, from CJ, from Cam Williams, and then you know, obviously you have a couple other guys, but those are the paramount players on the offensive side of football. But you still have Aeneas Williams, you have Pierre Jones, you have Jack Larson. As long as that offensive class checks it off and been like, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm not going anywhere. Then you now have a new coordinator who hopefully you have a little bit of fanfare and excitement about, right? You have a five-star quarterback in the class. You have Cam Williams, who's one of the top receivers in the 2024 class. You have a lot going for you, man. You do offensively. And then you have this the offensive staff is going to be huge, obviously, to, to help the you know ease that transition as well, because you have great recruiters in Harry Heastan, Dela McCullough, Chancey Stuckey obviously made a huge impression in his first year. You got Jared Parker as well, obviously, on the coach staff. So you have a strong supporting cast around. I think that you can really pick up and have a create a lot of momentum in a very short amount of time as long as you ease everybody in 2024. I'll I'll be honest with you, Ryan. It's good if if those guys sign off in the new OC. But yes. if you have a guy that you truly believe is the guy, you have to do it no matter what the 2024 recruits may think. I mean, for me, if yeah. it's if all things are equal and and they sign off on one or the other, maybe. But for me, it's just it's hey, get the best guy that you think is out there, and then let the recruiting chips fall where they may. Assuming that you project him to be able to do a good job at recruiting, you know, okay. CJ doesn't want to come. That would suck. Then maybe this guy has to re-recruit CJ, or maybe they go after somebody else. But um, I think it's important to make the right hire more than anything else. But if you can get them to sign off, then it makes your life so much easier because they're now bought in and they're selling Notre Dame along with the new OC. Exactly. Exactly. Huge part. Because if if CJ Carr signs off, hey, you know who plays on CJ Carr seven on seven team? Some pretty dang good wide receivers, man. That would be able to help sell Notre Dame. Absolutely. Ryan Wingo, Jeremiah McClellan, TJ Moore. Wingo's coming because now Tommy's recruiting him at Alabama. He's going to recruit some of those guys Alabama as he should. As he should. If CJ right, I have some feelings on that. It's about how you do it. Right. Sure. I, I don't think just because like I don't think you should recruit committed kids. I I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's right. 
Sure. I have no problem with you recruiting uncommitted kids as yep. long as you don't start bad mouthing the school you just left. That's what I don't like. And I don't, Tommy Reese doesn't, I don't, I don't think he'd do that, but I mean, who knows nowadays, but I, I that would surprise me a little bit if he did that. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, if you can get those guys on board and, and be big proponents of your new coach, that's huge. Right. Cause now he's in Wingo's ear about, man, this guy, dude, this is going to be so great. And, you know, again, you're not bad mouthing, bad mouthing Tommy Reese. You're just hyping up the new guy, just like Tommy yep. Reese shouldn't be bad mouthing Notre Dame. He's just going to be hyping up Bama. And that's what you should do. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.